If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. Again, the book of Romans chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 8 and read through the end of that chapter. There is, I, wanted, I started to say a bit, but I'm going to say there is a considerable false dichotomy both in the church and certainly in the world that tends to pit the love of God against the law of God. That those things don't really go together. That the law really does not inform our love and if we love then there's really no way to utilize the law. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be more unbiblical. That is, there is a proper use. Notice I said proper use. Of God's law in the church, among the believers, and there is a proper use of God's law in the world as it applies to the unbeliever. And to be biblical, and certainly to be wise as the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared for how this law and love coalesce together in our individual lives and within the life of the church so that we may manifest the very grace, glory, and love of God in this thing that we call the church. And so look with me again as we flesh out for the fifth time what we've called gospel-empowered love. That is, that God, by His grace, through the working of Christ, on the cross where he bore our sins, being pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes we're healed through the, the gospel. The promise made in the older covenant has been fulfilled in that God's law has been written on our heart. And what that means is the gospel has empowered, propelled, oriented us towards obedience. And so that informs how we live together and informs how we live in the world. So let's look at this this, this morning. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, 
and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies or drunkenness and sexual immorality or sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Pray with me this morning. Father, once again, we come to you, and Lord, we confess these are your words. They're not our words. You have inspired them for us. And Lord, now may I be faithful in explaining these words, and then that your Spirit would carry out your faithful ministry to your children and apply these very truths to our lives so that we may live to please you and to experience the joy that you have ordained and designed for us as the people of God living in what is indeed a fallen world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the book of Romans is remembered for its very deep exposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for its difficult theology, for this intertwining of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and in, even in the midst of all of that, the, the place that Israel held and now holds in what we would call salvation history, and having explained and expounded all of that so all of us understand it to the nth degree we've got the theology nailed down right right we've got it all nailed down we, we understand it completely now Paul says now this is what it's going to look like as you live in the world with the people of God but have to go out and live among those who have a totally different worldview than you do. It begins with this very intentional commitment to being a living sacrifice. That is, following 1 Peter 2, the example of Christ, we willingly suffer the realities, all of the realities, of living in a fallen world. And so... We do not demand our rights, but we sacrifice ourselves and all things to the cross of Christ, recognizing that is the lifestyle of worship that he has called upon us as believers uh, to live. And then we are to examine ourselves for how God has equipped each and every believer. Now let me say that again because you could miss that. That wasn't real, a real clear statement. Equipped each and every believer to serve the body of Christ. Well, I can't do nothing. Yes, you can. Okay? 
Yes, you can. The Bible says differently. You have a place in which you may serve the body. And typically, because God has equipped you, it brings a measure of joy. Because you're investing that gift, and there's a completeness uh, to doing that. You know, if, if you gave me a, a, a box of socket wrenches and said, go out and do X, Y, and Z to my car, you'd be a fool, first of all, to do that because your car would no longer run after spending 30 minutes with me. But not only would I tear your car up, but I'd be mad, okay, because it didn't do like I thought it would do, and I would be throwing wrenches and kicking tires and saying things I shouldn't say and so forth so on. Because I ain't no mechanic. Now, I can drive 16-penny nails, but I can't turn no bolts, okay? All right? But some of you, the happiest day of your life is when somebody gives you a set of socket wrenches. And you can go out and tear something up and put it back together again. I can tear it up pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty adept at that. But it's just not my thing. Okay? And God has given you a thing that you will enjoy doing in His church. Enough about that. And so, one of the ways we love God and love each other, what we've been talking about is, again, by that investment that we make in the church. And it, because of the Spirit's work, we can love each other in a very genuine and practical experiential way. In other words, it's, it goes beyond, at this moment, I'm not ticked off at you, Okay? In other words, the, the love the Bible compels, the love the gospel empowers is more than, well, I'm at least going to speak to you now. Okay? So, now, after the section begin, that begins in chapter 13, which we looked at a few weeks ago, and I said we're not going to go back through it again, but again, part of the way we love the world is that we submit to the proper ordained authority. Anarchy ain't no good. Okay, so God has ordained civil authority for the well-being of societies so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, not so that we can insulate ourselves and go in what's called our Christian ghettos, but so that we may peacefully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, I know you want your government to do everything under the world, and they're, they're trying, of course, they're bankrupting us to do it, but simply said the Bible says it should establish order and allow for the people of God to serve God himself okay if it does that quit griping okay now so having said that let's look at this business that Paul fleshes out for us and he begins with this again he closes the section on government by pay your bills pay your tax bills okay if you owe it, pay it, all right? He continues that and says, you know, pay all of your legitimate debts. Now, this is a place that I think it's important to rightly divide. Could you say, if you owe a debt today, you're living in sin? Because the Bible says what? Don't owe anybody anything. That's what it says, black and white, right there, right? So if you have a mortgage... If you have a car note, if you have an outstanding credit card bill, you're sinning, right? No. 
What's it saying? Pay your bills on time. There's other warnings about debt, okay? But it doesn't prohibit the use of debt, okay? Be careful. It's an addictive drug, okay? But it does, this is not a verse that prohibits uh, the use of borrowed funds. But it does tell us to meet our financial obligations appropriately. And that, that leads us to his next statement that just as you're obligated to pay your legal indebtedness because of what Christ has done for you, loving you first, demonstrating his love for us on the cross at Calvary, that, that, that every believer has an ongoing indebtedness to pay to others love. We're under an obligation to love one another. Now again, I'm not going to re-preach those previous four messages. But again, it's far more than, I'm not going to punch you in the nose this week. It's far more than, I'll give you a quick nod as we pass each other in the church hallway. Alright? It is very practical, very oriented in, in actually what we might even call works. It's, it's actually the doing of something. It's serving and serving one another with kindness. It's not, I know you had not been feeling good. Here's a meal. Eat it. Love it. If you don't like it, throw it in the garbage. Feed it to the dogs. I don't care what you do with it. But it is a genuine loving concern that works its way out in practical things. Okay? And so, we're always under that obligation. Okay? Here, I've never had a day in my life that I didn't have something to do. Okay? Now, I've told you enough about growing up in Bryce's house. Okay? There was always something that needed to be done. There was always a fence down. There was always cows that needed to be fed. Always trash needed to be hauled off from job. On and on and on and on. I went in business myself. There's never a time. There's not something that had to be done. And then I really lost my mind and became a preacher. And there's never a moment in any day that you don't need to be prayed for. There's never a moment in any day that I don't need to be prayed for. And on, and on it, it goes, okay? And, and so there are always these things that need to be done. You are under the constant obligation, the need to do, to do what? Love one another. There's never a time that you're not under that obligation, okay, because of the gospel having been applied to your life. Paul goes on to explain the one who loves, or one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now let's be careful. Let's be theologically precise. If you die, and I hope you don't this week, you would, wait another week or two. If you die and you stand before God and he asks you, and uh, Frank Barber wrote this, Barker, excuse me, Frank Barker wrote this in the Evangelism Explosion. Why in the world, he didn't exactly write it like that, should I let you into heaven? Well, because I was so loving, I brought fried chicken. Every time they had covered dish, and everybody loved my fried chicken, 
brought pound cake, macaroni and cheese. Go to hell, go straight to hell, do not pass go, and do not collect $200. It doesn't mean just because you're nice or whatever, got a servant's heart, that that is the basis for your justification. What that means is the purpose of God's law is that we would take it and understand, and we're going to see it more clearly in a minute, how to love each other. And so the purpose, the, the completion of the law in our lives, in our day, is when it works its way out in our lives, making an impact upon each other. It does not mean that in any shape, form, or fashion, your obedience, your performance of that law is the, the ground of your justification. You're saved by grace through faith. You're justified through faith and faith alone. Okay? So, love fulfills the law. Now, look, we're moving down. Verse 9, Paul says that, that the law is somewhat summarized. Jesus alluded to this. Sometimes it's called the great commandment. What's the greatest of all the commandments? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said that that really is the basis that the, the, the law hangs on. What do you mean? Well, if you honor God appropriately and love Him appropriately, the first four aspects of the Ten Commandments falls in place. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then the rest of the law falls into place. And so you can see here that the law then informs us as to how we are to love one another. Now, let, let's look here. Now, I say generally as we start, love does no harm to fellow image bearers. Okay? In other words, we're out to do good to one another. Now, most of you have seen that I have a Band-Aid on my nose. Okay? That wasn't because I made y'all mad and somebody punched me there. I know I make y'all mad, but thank you for not punching me. I appreciate that. So I always appreciate, you know, any sermon that you walk away from is a good sermon. That's, that's the way you define a good sermon, okay? No, out of kindness and concern for my well-being, a very well-trained doctor said, you have a place that's got to come off of your nose. They hurt the heck out of me. I wanted to say something stronger. They called me about four hours after I left the office. And they said, well, how are you doing? I said, y'all about killed me for, the last, for two hours this morning. What do you mean, how am I doing? Why would you do that to somebody you care about? They put 15 shots in my nose and five behind my ear. You don't do that to people. But sometimes our love will sting one another a little bit. Sometimes there's a, a little bit of pain that goes before a little bit of healing, okay? That doesn't mean, say, so what if the doctor said, ah, you'll be fine. I don't want to hurt your feet. I don't want to hurt your nose, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'd never even seen the place that they said needed to come on. But what if they said, "Oh, you know, you're, how loving would that have been?" 
for them not to call attention and correct. Well, that's the way the law functions among us, is it helps us to know if a brother or a sister is walking in the way, okay? And when they aren't, well, we just love you anyway, you know, it's okay. You just go out and be a complete raving idiot, okay? That's what y'all do. That's who you are. Well, that's dang straight that's who they are. Can I say dang, Sandy? No? I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going to try. I'm going to clean up my act one day. Now, so, how do we love one another? Well, the first way, notice the law. You shall not commit adultery. Folks, any sexual behavior or thought outside of the confines of monogamous, heterosexual marriage falls under this prohibition. Okay? And that, and with all that's going on in our culture now, you know, a biblical sexual ethic would resolve a bunch. God, I'm going to get in trouble again. All this stuff, I'll say that, okay, that's going on in the culture, okay? But let, not everybody has the privilege of having daughters, okay? And I say that seriously. But every man ought to treat every woman like they or his daughter. I cannot imagine anything that would bring more anger to the heart of a man than to find out that his daughter has been violated in any way. I mean, if you want to get stoned, mess with a man's daughter. But we ought to feel that way about all women, okay? What you're doing with sexual immorality, first of all, you're not loving your partner, that's for sure. Okay? You're not and you're not you're not loving their future mate. Now again, please you know, listen. God's grace is sufficient, so don't you know, shuffle out here doom, you know, you know how Tim is. He always makes me feel bad and all that stuff. God's grace is sufficient, but it is an unloving thing. And it, it ain't just about you. You involve multiple people, okay? Every sin a man commits is outside of his body except for what? Immorality. And that's a sin against his own body. You're sinning against the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God's law, as it pertains to sexual ethics, the way we should love one another is abstain from sexual immorality or practice sexual purity, Okay? That the writer of Hebrews says the, the marriage bed should be undefiled. Okay? That means that we should all be about the business of ensuring that young people make it to marriage with their chastity intact. If I could say something to parents and grandparents, teach your children, inform your children. Let, let me. Let me just go down this side road real quick, and I'll probably put this out for long. I, I ran across a little piece. I think it's 12 things having to do with uh, smartphones. I can't remember the title, but that it's a list of 12 things, and it has to do with smartphones. If you're giving a child 
a smartphone or giving them unbridled access to a laptop, you're opening the door to every form of sexual perversion. Okay? And folks, it ain't been but a few years ago, I was a teenager. That was funny now. And true. And I was, I had an inquiring mind. I would have pushed the limits, and your kid will too, and your grandchild will too. And this, this piece is not about don't ever let your child have a cell phone. It's just giving some wise steps about how to kind of introduce them to, to that. It's going to be a part of their lives, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you give them unbridled access, they're going to be exposed to things that you don't want them exposed to. I, I cannot believe, and folks, I ain't never been approved a day in my life. But sexting? Give me a break. I mean, who's ever heard of all this garbage before? And so, again, I'll probably put that on email one day. I, I, I think you should listen. But again, we love each other by practicing sexual purity, calling one another to a biblical sexual ethic. Because let me tell you something, the, the trail of devastation is great indeed for those violations. All right, let's move forward. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love one another? I don't take your stuff and you don't take mine. I love you, brother. I'm going to take your car. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take, I'm going to take your golf club. I'm going to take your fishing rod. I'm going to... No. The Bible recognizes your right to, to, to own and, and to possess uh, property. And so we respect the right to, to own. Let, let me tell you one thing, and I don't want to get political here, okay? I came up with a great T-shirt yesterday. Golly, bum. Probably get me fired, so I'll just leave it at that. But you have the right to possess real property and other types of property. And the Old Testament law warns people that move property boundaries. That, that that's a very, that's a, a very egregious sin to, to try to take. And, and here's the thing. I have known of both murders, and I, I guarantee if you ask Joey Brittner, who's in the land measurement business, he can tell you some horror stories over six inches of property. But I have known both suicides and murders, and certainly fist fights, over this much property. Okay? But so instilled in us and 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 affirmed by scripture is we have the right to own stuff and we love each other by not trying to take it away from one another. Okay? Now I missed one and, and I looked at murder is prohibited. Now how did Jesus Expand that. If you hate, you're already committing this violation. That, that not only are we not to pull out a gun, you know, you've gotten on my last nerve, so, you know, prepare to meet your maker. But we're 
commanded to love. And, and again, that when, when you're mad at somebody and aggravated with somebody, and, and really, when you fail to love, really the biblical perspective is what? If you're not loving, you're what? Huh? Hating, thank you. Yes, I can't hear very well. And so, how, how does the gospel work its way out in our lives is, again, we don't hate each other. We love each other. Sometimes now, sometimes our love may look like hate. You know what I mean? Going back to my nose. Man, I, I didn't think those people liked me very much the other day. Sometimes we have to do some radical surgery with the law, with the Word of God, confronting the reality of sin. That's what informs, you know, I don't, you know, as great as my opinions are about everything, and as, as accurate as they are about everything and anything, I do not have the right to straighten you out in accordance with my opinion. But I do have the right to speak to you from the authority of Scripture about what's true, what's right, what's wrong. Okay, so we've looked at sexual ethics. We've looked at the necessity of not hating, of not murdering, of, of respecting uh, one another's property rights. And, and that extends there, again, in the middle of verse 9, you shall not covet. You shall not obsess over what somebody else has and you don't. I oh. Because how many of us sit around daydream about what we don't have? Even that stuff that's on the showroom floor, the department store floor, it's owned by someone else. Oh, I gotta have it! <laughs> Learn to be satisfied. Next week we're going to talk about matters of conscience. Guess what will come up? I'm, on, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. I'll just let y'all think about what might come up when it comes to matters of conscience, okay? We're Baptist church, so it might come up. But, but here's the thing. Possessions are as addictive as anything that probably more lives and more marriages have been ruined because of the misuse of money, of wealth, out of the, which flows out of a what? A heart that is not satisfied with anything, no matter what, no matter how many credit card offers we get and fill out and send back in and get $50,000 of unsecured credit that we couldn't even pay for if we worked four jobs. But we can't be satisfied. We cannot be satisfied. So, again, how do we love? We don't covet what other people own. We learn to be Content. Paul speaks of learning contentment. Notice he said he didn't just arrive there automatically. He had to learn it. He had to discipline himself. He had to teach it. And so, love doesn't wrong its neighbor. Love is informed by the law of God. It gives us some specifics as to how we live together. Okay? And so, again, Paul says, therefore... Love, if I love you, then 
the law works its way out in our relationship. Okay. All right. Verse 11. Time to wake up, folks. Time to wake up. Paul writing to the believer now. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Get off your seat of do-nothing. You know, again, the way I was raised, you know, Dale, Dale was a nurse, had to be at, in our early years of marriage, had to be at Floyd Medical Center to clock in at 7 o'clock. 30-minute drive to Rome, Georgia, from Somerville, Georgia. Takes a little bit of time to get from the parking lot into where she clocked in, so she was leaving our house around 6.15 at the latest uh, to, to, to get in uh, to work each day. I've never had this. Well, me and my husband or me and my wife, we sat out on the deck and we drank three cups of coffee and we talked about the news and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, all my life, you hit the floor running. You got to go. You got to be somewhere. You got to do something. There's, there's all kinds of things uh, to do. So get out of your PJs. Put on your work clothes. Because what? It is time to wake up and get busy. Why? Because the completion of our salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Time keeps moving forward. I think Steve Miller sung about that, okay? So, there's your 70s cultural reference. All right. Time keeps on moving, moving, however it goes, into the future, okay? You ought to have seen Joey dancing at Atlanta Stadium a couple of years ago. Steve Miller played. I was embarrassed, folks. I, I just, don't let, him t- don't let him tell you he ain't got no rhythm. I am telling you. I mean, he was staying alive, staying, you know, the whole nine yards. <laughs> But it's time to wake up because what? Just by way of logic, the day of Christ's return is closer. I've been a believer 45 years. So it's at least 45 years closer than when I first believed. And the hour is late, okay? It's time for us to wake up. Salvation's consummation is near. And I don't want anybody to leave here and say, well, my, my salvation's not complete. Yes, it's complete, but it's not perfected. In the, now, unless some of you, do, would anybody like to say, Brother Tim, salvation is complete in me. I'm perfectly sanctified. In fact, I am now glorified. Would anybody like to make that statement? Please don't. Please don't. So we're not perfected yet, but that day is coming quickly. And I know it's coming quickly because of the doctrinal compromise and the apostasy rampant in the church today. People do not give two hoots for what the Word of God says, which is exactly what Paul says. In the last days, men will have itching ears, gathering to themselves those that will say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell me God wants me to be healthy and wealthy. Yeah, tell me that, preacher. God wants you to have your best life now. And so, the, we're right. We're an undiscerning people. And because we're no longer salt and light, the culture is sliding into hell in a handbasket. Again, in my very short life, very young life, 
the things that we knew were sin in high school are, are recognized as virtues now. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so we see that. And so, verse 12, the night is gone. Now what does he mean? That the, the Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who gives light to everyone, is, has come into the world. That now is the day of salvation. The gospel is preached universally, okay? Calling all men in all places at all times to what? Repent. To repent of sins, to believe this gospel. The, the, the night of the darkness that, that really shrouded the old covenant because it was really just for the Jews. I mean, a few Gentiles came to be Jews and were saved, as we would say. But now what? The gospel is to go into all of the world so that people may hear it and believe the gospel. And so this day is, 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 is or the night is gone, and, and the day... Now there he's what? The day that Christ shall return is at hand. Is at hand. So the admonition then, and the overarching admonition, cast off the works of darkness, very common way of Paul expressing, live out the gospel, live out your faith, strip away which, which belongs to the, to the sinful, lost way that you used to live, and put on the armor of light look like a person who has been born of the Spirit of God, who has believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to be a people, notice verse 13 now, we're to put on this armor of light. Again, that is a metaphor, okay? We're to put on the good works and the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us walk let us live out our lives. Let us go about our daily business. Whatever it is we do, do it in a way that honors God and reflects the transforming work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives by loving one another. And we've had a few details of what it looks like to love one another, okay? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, just speak the truth to one another, okay? So, so that instruct each other doctrinally so that when all of this junk, all of this junk comes over the TV and the podcast and the email that is absolute spiritual hogwash, we're discerning. And we know it's junk. We know it's an unhealthy diet. And so let us walk according to the light, to the knowledge, walk according to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be a people of the word of light, the word of God. Once again, he returns. Now, you know, we talk about our culture. And for the most part, when I dismiss you, and I usually stand at the back door and I shake your hands and so forth and so on, I usually don't, there's a few of you, I'm not, nah, I'm kidding. I usually don't say as my parting thing, now don't go do no orgies this week, don't you go do no orgies this week, don't you go do no orgies. I usually don't have to remind you of that. Right? 
for the most part, you know, you got that part. Now, wouldn't it be easy if all the Christian life was was just avoiding an orgy? I think most of you probably most of the time would do that. Right? And again, biblical sexual ethic. But what a degraded culture that Paul would have to say to the people of God because of what? They came out of that. That the pagan idolatry that they were familiar with that involved, at least for the men, a ritual orgy when they went to church. And, and they kind of accepted that as normative behavior. One of the things that we have to, to learn, I, I wish that we had a whole, just more people than we can count that were fresh, new believers. And I was constantly having, you know, I, I, one of my shows is NCIS. And you remember when Tony was on there, they'd slap him on the back of the head. Those of you, boom. I wish they were just dozens, hundreds of new believers and every week I was having to go up like I do Keith Mullins all the time. Boom! Straighten up. Wake up. Because they were bringing so much junk out of the old life. They were gay. They were addicted to drugs. Whatever the deal was. But God had saved them. And they were fighting every day to come out of that life. And we were constantly having to remind them. We were constantly having to speak truth. We were constantly having to apply the law of God and the grace of God to their lives and say, wait a minute, you can't do that anymore. By the power of God working in you, you have overcome that. God has forgiven you of those sins. God has set you free. But I understand that we need to remind you occasionally of these things. So we think our culture is bad. I doubt that there are very many pastors that as people leave their church today have to say, now don't y'all go do an orgy. Don't y'all go do an orgy. You know, that's probably not something that has to be done. But again, what a decadent culture. So we're not the first Christians to live in the midst of a, of a violently pagan people again not in not in drunkenness don't be don't be under the the influence of, of any kind of of uh, of substance i sat at lunch the other the other day and i wasn't counting it just kind of caught my attention couple sitting across from us and there in the space of whatever it was 30 45 minutes uh they drank three tall beers at least i'm pretty sure it was beer i mean it looked like beer you know I'm assuming it was beer. Now, I don't, I don't know what the deal, you know, but probably if they were driving, and I, I don't think they walked to the restaurant, they probably had an issue. I mean, it don't take much. It don't take much. So just something to, to, to think about there. So let us walk properly, live out our lives as a way that honors God, not in any type of sexual morality or sensuality, just living so that our physical senses are satiated. Okay? So, so that we're satisfied with whatever feelings we happen to have, whether it's the, 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 the aesthetics of the church or whether it's the, the music 
or, or, or whether it's just, you know, got to have the, the nicest feeling clothes, the most expensive clothes, or got to have the, 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 the most expensive food, whatever it is. But we live so that our physical sensations and physical desires are met. No, don't live that way. Don't live with quarreling and jealousy. Don't be fighting among yourselves. Okay? Now, I've told you, I'm a, I love this analogy. And I'm surprised nobody isn't mad at me about it because I guess it's offensive. But, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. But I've told you about raising cattle uh, when I was young. Cattle are just such docile animals. Until you try to put them in a stall or a corral and down a chute and onto a trailer or a truck to haul them to the sale. And those suckers will hurt you. Because you start kind of move them in one direction and put them in a confined place, they will run slap all over you. And the church is kind of like that. As long as we're kind of out and nobody's messing with us too much, but, but we come in here and get in the corral, and we start bumping into each other, and somebody sits in my seat, and somebody parks in my parking lot, and somebody eats the last donut or drinks the last sip of coffee, or they don't speak to me. I'm ill. Now, and by the way, the last person that didn't speak to you, did you speak to them first? Just, just saying. Just saying. But we, one of the most difficult things in our lives, seriously, my life, your life, is learning how to confront and deal with that which needs to be dealt with. Okay? And how to let things go. How to let things go. There's just some things that do not rise to the level and... and like faith, I'm, I'm quite sure that as I walked in and out of my office this week, Diane sat at her desk, I bet you a dollar there's at least one time I walked by her door, which was open, and she's sitting there, and I didn't say, hey, Diane. I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened. Don't know that it happened, but I bet you a dollar I didn't speak to her every time that you know, I walked in and out or whatever the deal was. I probably passed some of y'all today and didn't. Okay, what a, there's some things you let go. Of course, what we do, what do we do? We hang on and make a big deal out of what, over what ought to be let go, and we let go what ought to be dealt with, don't we? Nod your head. That's a nod your head. Yeah. I mean, there are things that we need to be confronting. Okay, we need to be speaking about. But it's it, again, discernment is. I mean, I'm telling you, the rest of your life is a life of discernment. It really is. It really is. And, and time and place. There are things, one, one thing that I try not to do is to talk like serious business to an individual in front of other people. Now, I may pick at you in a crowd, okay? But what I try not to do, if it's a really a matter that needs to be addressed, is to embarrass you in front of your friends. So sometimes you've got to pick your time and place. In other words, the time and place for speaking the truth is not always right now. But we need to learn that. That's a part of discernment. But we need to learn how to get along. And because of the Spirit of God working in us and among us, we really ought to be able to do it. We really ought to be able to do it. So, 
Final admonition. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a metaphor. Put on the gospel. Put on his character. Again, uh, uh, Josh read from 1 Peter. He's our example. Okay? So we're to, to look to him. And we're to, to make no provision for our flesh. Folks, I still find it incredibly easy and even more tragic, satisfying to sin. How many of you would say the same thing? It is so easy to allow the baser desires of our sinful disposition that's still still so deep-seated within us, and it doesn't take much to get it out of us. I was shutting a gate last night. I can show you my thumb is purple. Steel, heavy metal gate. It's got a kind of a trick little deal to, to latch it. And I caught my finger in there. And, and I only said one little thing, but none of you would have been proud of me. Okay? What? And all it does is remind me that when affliction comes and the pressure comes and I get squeezed, it isn't always pretty what comes out. Right? Right? Yeah. It's not always pretty what comes out. And so, again, we grow in grace. We grow to be like Jesus. We recognize it doesn't take much. I told you last week, if I could have gotten a hold of that guy that went by me there on Charlton Mountain Road last Saturday, I'd have drug him out on the street and stomped him right there. Or he'd have stomped me. Probably, probably been that, that. That probably would have been the case. But I mean, I, so we, so we need to we need to be putting to death. We need to be extinguishing our own flames in our lives. We need to be taking the law of God. That's the use of the law, and apply it to our lives so that we perpetually grow in grace, and so that God's love, having been shed abroad in our heart works its way out as we live and serve here together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. and I'm sure as sermons are measured, this has been kind of a bumbling around attempt to express the magnitude of your truth. But God, because your spirit inspired and your, your spirit at work here today, We'll simply trust that your word doesn't return void. and You'll apply it to our lives. Lord, there are those here that, that what they need is encouragement. Lord, they're, they're, they're so down on themselves. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would grant to them encouragement and our words would be encouraging. And then, Lord, there's some here today. They need a word of rebuke. They need conviction that only you can supply. And Lord, we pray that you would accomplish that as only you can. And the end result would be repentance and the, res the restoration of the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.